Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, witnessing your child struggle with eating difficulties can be somewhat traumatizing, equally for you and for your child. Now, if the situation isn't counseled and supported effectively, you know, you may be at risk of developing anxiety and stress feeding for years to come, which can have a lasting impact on your family. However, like many things in life, as we know, knowledge is power. And the more we know about a situation, the better we can prevent these behaviors from happening. So if you're a parent that has found that feeding your child has become a challenging and nerve wracking activity, and you're looking for support and additional help and advice, well, you're in the right place. So to help uh, share her tips and advice to help you raise a happy, healthy eater and empower you to feel more in control, we welcome our special guest and one of our fantastic partners here at Kittypedia, Marie-France Laval. Now, a little bit about our guest. Uh, Marie-France is a dietitian and nutritionist. Um, and counsellor originally from France. She's also the CEO of Fussy Eater Solutions, where she offers a range of um, online and in-home programs to support fussy eaters and their families. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Marie-France. Marie How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How about you, Rachel? Yeah, yeah, really um, excited to have this chat because I, um, in doing my preparation, understand that many parents do go out to seek help and advice um, when they have established that their child is a fussy eater. But sometimes when they go out and reach out for that support, it isn't always necessarily the most helpful. And sometimes if it's not the right uh, professional that they've gone to see, it sometimes can make the situation a little bit worse. So um, I'm really excited to sort of do, do a little bit of a deep dive with you on this today, always with a view of helping and supporting families in the best way that we can. Before we get stuck into that, I wanted to acknowledge, of course, that we uh, we published your article titled Feeding Baby Nightmare, Is It Doing You Harm? Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it. Yeah. So it really is about um, prompting parents who have a baby who is not eating much or not eating well to mm -hmm assess reassess the situation and to um, think about their stress level their anxiety level and perhaps seek help if they need to um, there's a lot of harm um, done to you when every day you are feeding your baby mm -hmm. and you are stressed and anxious about every meal that you are providing and I wrote this piece because I actually talked to a mom who told me that she had a a toddler who had a choking incident that was so severe she had to perform first aid call an ambulance and her daughter had turned blue and after that she was stuck she was so traumatized feeding was really really difficult for her so I advised her to get help because how can you possibly do your job every day 
when it is causing you so much anxiety and stress. Was the baby uh, and the child choking on the food? Yes, yes, absolutely. Wow, okay. So lots of questions to, to ask you about this, but first, I mean, as a parent, how do you know you need support? So I think you do have to just really assess your stress and your anxiety level. Mm. Um, so perhaps, you know, you've noticed that your child is not really interested in food, they're not really looking at it, or they even get distressed as you put food on the table. If you have really spent time, work, you know, working this out, you then need to sit down and think about you. What does that do to you? It's really, very much like when you're on the plane in the old days, you know, when you were flying a plane with kids, they would tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you could attend to your baby. And in this case, this is very much about that. Assess yourself. What is your stress level? What's your anxiety like um, every time you have to feed your child? Mm. I mean, do you find that this journey can be really lonely for parents? And what's what has been the experience of the families that you work with? So I look, I mean, oh, at any parent who is a new parent, particularly at the moment under COVID, I have families whose babies were born before March or since March. And so they um, they haven't got any help, uh, you know, if they couldn't really get home visits. They um, are still not able to get home visits, really. They are lonely because they don't have the support of an extra, you know, let's say a grandparent or two grandparents or a brother or sister. A village around them. And so they, help are, support yeah, them. they don't yeah. have a village. It's completely, yeah. you know, desolate. Um, it's the desert. They don't have any That's help. Be I mean, so I really distressing. say that I am heartbroken at times when I talk to families that are struggling and they're so lonely. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And then the second is that their concerns get dismissed. I've had families, even sometimes when children have got, I've had a condition, they've been seen by a pediatrician, they've been, been to the hospital, sometimes they just get dismissed. Um, I've had a family, for example, they were told things like, mm, you know, I'm afraid that I just don't know how to help you. Or um, they were told things like, well, um, I think that's his personality. That's what he does. Um, and so with this type of comment, they go home and they're stuck. <laughs> it's they're just stuck. not helping them. And they're lonely, really lonely doing this feeding. So, so it's common then that when parents go to reach out to professionals to get help that it, their concerns often get brushed off with the professionals being unsure to help them um, and some of the advice would you say is it common that the the advice that they give them is a little bit too general in, in nature as well so it's not necessarily specific to what they need is, is that common as well or not I don't know correct and so out of a lack of understanding of fitting difficulties um you, you will find a doctor who will tell you, you know, that's okay to have a fussy baby, it happens, or, um, yeah, just, really broad just wait and see responses, what happens. Ambiguous. Yeah, yep. so very, mm. very broad responses um, that aren't helpful at all. Yeah, and, and not 
sort of tailored and bespoke to, to, to their problems. So correct. It's a big change, you know, if they call me and, and if I find that I can help them, then I will say, I, I trust you. I believe you. And I think there's a real, it's very important because they have not been believed. And I believe them. It's not yeah. their imagination. So, um, so it's affecting them. So it's right for, for the parent then to ensure that they're actually getting tailored information and support specific to, to their scenario and their child and their eating habits, would you say? So in saying that, I mean, understanding that there's obviously sorry, a full spectrum of, of scenarios and situations, but what are some of the more common issues parents experience with this scenario, um, just broadly as an example, to give us some of the, some of the broad so, issues? Okay. Um, they will have a baby, for example, who's really not keen to eat um, solids. So that can look like um, a child who's just not touching the food, not almost they look like they don't know what to do with the food. Um, they are they push the food away, they may throw it onto the ground, they may have more of a reaction where they may become really anxious themselves. They may become dysregulated. They'll start crying. Um, and so um, all of these behaviors are signs that something's not quite happening. Mm. Um, and the parents often, you know, they'll start adapting to these difficulties. So they will try to for example, distract their child because they find that once they put a video on, they can get food into their child. I mean, they, they're desperate, right? They have all this pressure at the back of their mind that they have to get this child to grow and that they have to get the right nutrition in their mm -hmm. baby. It's extreme pressure on them as well. Um, and so um, they, they really struggle with babies who have be who show behavior who have behaviors that are really telling that you you can observe you know yeah so what type of support is there for parents and children then typically and oh, i mean how typically. do they know that, the, so, that they look they, that they're sort of i guess approaching uh, the right type of professional to help them okay so there are first of all there are few people who can help because it still is a field that's sort of moving and happening um, but um, one person, one type of professional that can help is a speech language pathologist, and so they will assess how the child is um, eating, how the child is um, eat, um, chewing and swallowing. They will make sure that there's no pain in swallowing. For ex example, they will make sure um, they will look at um, a number of difficulties that the child may be experiencing when eating. They are occupational therapists who also do this type of work and they will do work around, um, you know, making sure the child is um, well adjusted, for example, when eating, making sure that they um, are uh, comfortable with um, touching food. So they may look at the range of um, things like that. Mm. Um, I am a dietitian, so I also look um, at what the kids are eating, but not just my approach is holistic. So I will look at a number of things that involve, you know, trying to work out whether the child is struggling, and then I will refer them if I need to. Um, but, yeah, I, 
I'm interested in all aspects of feeding. Why is this child not wanting to sit down is always a big question that I ask myself. Mm. Why are they fidgety? Um, why did they push the food away? Um, what's the parent's reaction like, you know? Well, on, on that exact point then, I mean, you mentioned quite often that we hear always that children can sense the parents' um, anxiety and stress levels. Now, in your article, you mentioned um, about uh, co-regulation. Could you maybe just explain to us what co-regulation is and how it can help? What does yeah, it mean? so in the article, I put a link for this um, video about co-regulation, which I think explains very well that in order to help your child regulate, and that's their feelings and behaviors, if they become really heightened and stressed out um, or they start crying, that's where they reach or they have a meltdown, that's where they reach quite a level of dysregulation, right? Mm. If you are the parent and yourself are dysregulated and anxious and stressed out and perhaps angry or tired, you cannot regulate your child. And so the video is really interesting and, and I think to the point it shows a mum um, and as part of the experiment with her baby, she's asked not to communicate with the baby for a few, I think it's 30 seconds, but it seems like a lifetime. Um, and so she completely ignores the baby and he um, initially tries to get her attention. You know, he tries to... Um, talk to her, to gesture to her. But then um, as she doesn't respond, he gets more and more dysregulated and really anxious and, and, um, and, uh, and stressed out. And, and eventually she starts to talk to him again, which is, you know, if you watch the video, you so relieved. thankful <laughs> that she does, so relieved because it's, it's painful to watch. But it gives you a good idea about how it's difficult to do when you yourself are mm -hmm. not regulated that's why you need help and you may need to get support um so co-regulation is all about supporting your child to regulate their emotions would you say but as you just mentioned you mm -hmm. can't do that if you're not regulated yourself is that what you're saying yeah um i want to give you the example of the family i'm supporting at the moment and so that it's very touch and go with this child when he eats and when he doesn't mm -hmm. um and also he'll get dysregulated, so we're really working on that. But um, when he eats, they are relaxed, they are joyful, they talk to him, they, they laugh, you know. Um, and when he doesn't, you can tell um, they are so um, – they, they, they turn off. They become – they're sad. Um, they, they don't speak. They don't laugh. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking to see what happens because I know that it's so difficult for them, yet it's not helpful to their child in terms of his regulation. Yeah. Um, so I, I, what I'm hearing, in, in other words, that if a parent's really distraught or if they're stressed, it's really hard for them to support their child, um, for them to calm down. So it's about them understanding the right type of prof professional that they need to go out and, and um, sort of seek assistance from, would you say? Absolutely. And, and um, I didn't mention psychologists, but psychologists may be also somebody you can talk to about, for example, trauma, you know, if you are traumatized. Some families 
have all sorts of things happen to them. You know, um, there may be a member of the family who's unwell. Uh, mm. I have worked with families like this, you know, uh, when they spend a lot of time at the hospital visiting somebody. Um, so the dynamics in the family can be highly compromised when there's all sorts of stresses coming in the way and trauma and anxiety coming in the way of fitting. Mm. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about, which you mentioned and um, you sort of go into a bit of detail in the article, is is how to and, and how to become a responsive feeder. Um, so, I'd love to know um, what is responsive feeding and how can it help. Okay, well, I gave the example of um, feeding children with um, videos um, as a way to get more food in, and so. When you hear the get more food in, it tells you parents are under tremendous pressure to get more food in. That's not responsive feeding. So responsive feeding is based on trusting your child, trusting their ability to learn to eat, to eat in line with their appetite and their satiety, so to know when they've had enough, to grow um, autonomous in their feeding, um, so it's based on trusting that from your child, from your baby and from your child. Um, and for your child or your baby, it is to put them in that position where they trust that you will read their cues for hunger and fullness and for fatigue. I have a lot of kids who are fatigued during mealtimes or for their discomfort or their distress when the food is really challenging for them. Um, babies and children who can trust that their parents will make them comfortable at the table, that they will be well-seated, that they will be comfortable, and that the ambiance, if you like, will be relaxed. Um, so, so I'm hearing that, that responsive feeding is when a parent really responds to a child's cues. Is that what you're saying? Correct, that they respond to their child cues, that they facilitate feeding, for example, that they will cut foods to size um, so that it's easy for the child to manage their food, that they will take cues, for example, when their child is really not wanting to be fed, um, can they um, load spoons for them? Can they charge forks for the kids? Can they cut things so that it's actually easier for the kids to self-feed? So um, take cues and let your child have a go. Um, is essential. It's okay also to be um, fine with a bit of mess. Um, if you can eat with the child um, to actually show how you eat, um, show what's in your mouth, demonstrate in other words. Mm. And, uh, one you... Sorry, one last one would be to avoid being harsh um, with your child. So your baby must be able to trust that you're not going to be harsh. That you're... So in the case of this baby I was talking about recently, um, grandma that was pre-COVID or in between the lockdowns, grandma forced feed the baby, forced fed the baby. So that's putting additional pressure where the child is really not going to be trusting mm. the parent or the grandparent in feeding. So we don't want to be harsh with feeding. We don't want to push it beyond a limit that's reasonable. And we certainly don't want to scrape food off their face with a harsh metal spoon, you know, Everything that makes the um, experience unpleasant is going to be detrimental to everyone, um, the child and you, and that's not responsive feeding. 
I mean, how do you establish responsive feeding? You mentioned the division of responsibility is probably the easiest way to explain responsive feeding. Um, and it really does require parents to tune in and not push feed. So could you maybe just um, establish a little, bit, a little bit about that? Yeah. Especially too, it's going to be hard to establish if your child has been showing little interest in eating and feeding in the first place, I would think. Yeah, it's so hard. And that's when you may really need some help and talk to a professional if you really are struggling to such an extreme. Um, so I think the first step, uh, as you start to, to establish responsive feeding is to assess where you are in terms of your level of trust with your child. Uh, you may need to really um, talk to a GP or your, um, your maternal child health nurse with regards to the growth of your child. Are you confident? Is your child growing well? Um, that would take a lot of the pressure off. And so once you've assessed where you are in terms of your stress, your anxiety, the level of support you have around you, then you can perhaps start implementing the division of responsibility, which is really best practice in feeding kids. And it says that there are two jobs, the job of the parent, which is to provide the food, and the job of the child, which is to decide if and how much they're going to eat. And all of that is done with quite a bit of structure around meal times and where you sit, et cetera, et cetera. So it's easy to understand. And I do have an article on my um, website about the division of responsibility. But in practical terms, often when there's pressure on the parents and on the babies or on the kids, it's hard to apply. Um, so it requires quite a lot of um, dedication or somebody who can help you troubleshoot what you may be doing wrong. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, of course, if a parent is struggling with feeding their child, it's really best to get the right support and as early as possible. Um, so I guess if you were really to, I guess, summarize your, your key messages uh, today for anyone watching and listening, what would they be? So yes, definitely you, you may need to think about support early on because what I found with problems in feeding is that they will compound when you know they are severe um, or that they are there and they affect you every day. That's when you start to need to think about whether you need help. Um, and so my the article is really about that, saying to you, well, think about you first. What if what impact does this does this um, feeding difficulty has on you? Um, and then talk to people who are receptive and can help you, who can hear you, and then decide what you are going to do about it. But the main goal for this piece is to say, you know, don't stay alone um, by yourself. It's difficult enough with COVID, but don't stay alone in these difficulties when there is some help available. Not a great deal, but there is some help. But just ensure that the help that you're getting is specific to your scenario and your to situation. Your scenario, to your and family, yeah. Yeah, and just not to accept, I guess, scenarios and, and feedback that either is detrimental or is negative or um, is unlikely to help you and provide any support uh, and, and not to sort of get stuck. Because sometimes I guess when we receive information and news and uh, that isn't, isn't right for us, you can sort of dwell on that information and, and, and get stuck a little bit. And so just 
from that to move on from that and just well that that just wasn't the right professional I'm going to continue moving forward and keep seeking the right professional to provide support would you say oh absolutely um I think some of the families I've talked to that's exactly what what's been happening Uh, and I've talked to families who have older kids who say you know that's what I was told I knew years ago that it wasn't right and I knew it was hurting us in the family because it has such an impact Um, but now 10 years 12 years have gone past and there was no help really no understanding then yes but there's so many wonderful yeah and there's so many wonderful professionals like you that are available Um, and of course with just technology these days of course everyone can be contacted in in a heap of different ways so if parents have got questions and would like to reach out you um to you in any way shape or form whereabouts uh can they do that and where where, where can they find you yeah absolutely they can do that on fasciteater.com.au and um they can book a 15 minute consult with me i'm always happy to talk to them and if i can't help them straight away i'll tell them um, and i'll try to direct them to somebody else if i feel that it's too uh, impossible for me. But genuinely, I like to to talk to people and help them. I have people calling me from the country and even abroad um, because they're stuck. Yes. And it's all about not being stuck. And like we were saying, there's just so many great people out there like yourself um, that can provide the right bespoke and tailored support. So we'll have all of those links in the show notes. As always, an absolute pleasure to be chatting with you today and um, look forward to another catch up in the not too distant future. Until then, stay safe. Thanks, Marie France. Take care. Thanks, Rachel. So nice to talk to you. A tout à l'heure. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.